0: Hare everybody. Thank you very much for coming. Mm. It's uh, nice to use one's, my independence, to do the right thing, right? I'm continuing a reading from this morning. This morning we were speaking of, about Kalia, and I read up to verse number five. So now I'm going to read a, f- a few more verses. I hope it's uh, like a, spo- it's a this is a spoiler alert. In case you didn't know what happens in the story, and you wanted to be a suspense and go to all the classes, okay? <clears throat> Ten sixteen six. It's something with the gain. It's it, Whenever I speak, it hums a little bit. Do you notice it? Chakodola? It's your speaker, so you may be able to talk to it. <laughs> Lord Krishna saw how the Kalia serpent had polluted the Jamuna River with his terribly powerful poison. Since Krishna had descended from the spiritual world specifically to subdue envious demons, the Lord immediately climbed to the top of a very high Kadamba tree and prepared himself for battle. He tightened his belt, slapped his arms, and then jumped into the poisonous water. Purport, according to the Acharyas, Lord Krishna also tied back the locks of his hair as he prepared to do battle with Kaliya. Text seven. When the Supreme Personality of God had landed in the serpent's lake, the snakes there became extremely agitated and began breathing heavily, further polluting it with volumes of poison. The force of the Lord's entrance into the lake caused it to overflow on all sides, and poisonous, fearsome waves flooded the surrounding lands up to a distance of 100 bow lengths. This is not at all amazing, however, for the Supreme Lord possesses infinite strength. Krishna began sporting in Kaliya's lake like a lordly elephant, swirling his mighty arms and making the water resound in various ways. When Kaliya heard these sounds, he understood that someone was trespassing in his lake. The serpent could not tolerate this and immediately came forward. According to the Acharyas, Lord Krishna was producing wonderful musical sounds within the water simply by splashing his hands and arms. Kaliya saw that Sri Krishna, who wore yellow silken garments, was very delicate, his attractive body shining like a glowing white cloud, his chest bearing the mark of Shrivatsa, his face smiling beautifully and his feet resembling the whorl of a lotus flower the Lord was playing fearlessly in the water. Despite his wonderful appearance, the envious Kaliya furiously bit him on the chest and then completely enwrapped him in his coils. When the members of the cowherd community who had accepted Krishna as their dear most friend saw him enveloped in the snake's coils motionless, they were greatly disturbed. They had offered Krishna everything their very selves, their families, their wealth, wives, and all pleasures. At the sight of the Lord in the clutches of the Kaliya snake, their intelligence became deranged by grief, lamentation, and fear, and thus they fell to the ground. PURPORT Srila Sanatana Goswami explains that the coward boys, along with some coward men and farmers, who happened to be in the vicinity and who were also devotees of Krishna, fell to the ground just like trees that had been cut at the root. The cows, bulls, and female calves in great distress called out piteously to Krishna. Fixing their eyes on him, they stood still in fear as if ready to cry, but too shocked to shed tears. In the Vrindavan area, there then arose all three types of fearful omens those on the, on the earth, those in the sky, and those in the bodies of living creatures which announced imminent danger. Purport, according to Srila Sridhar Swami, the omens were as follows. On the earth there were disturbing tremors, in the sky there were meteors falling, and in the bodies of creatures there was shivering as well as quivering of the left eye and other parts of the body. These omens announce imminent danger. Seeing the inauspicious omens, Nanda Maharaj and the other cowherd men were fearful for they knew that Krishna had gone to herd the cows that day without his elder brother, Balaram. Because they had dedicated their minds to Krishna, accepting him as their very life, they were unaware of his great power and opulence. Thus they concluded that the inauspicious omens indicated he had met with death and they were overwhelmed with grief, lamentation, and fear. All the inhabitants of Vrindavan, including the children, women, and elderly persons, thought of Krishna just as a cow thinks of her helpless young calf, and thus these poor suffering people rushed out of the village intent upon finding him. The Supreme Lord Balaram, the master of all transcendental knowledge, smiled and said nothing when he saw the residents of Vrindavan in such distress, since he understood the extraordinary power of his younger brother. PURPORT Sri Balaram is the plenary expansion of Lord Krishna and is thus non-different from him. They are in fact the same absolute truth manifest in separate forms. According to Srila Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur, Lord Balaram. Are we okay? okay? Okay. Sorry. They are, in fact, the same absolute truth manifest in separate forms. According to Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, Lord Balaram was laughing because he thought, Krishna never cares to play with me in my form of Shesha Naga. But now he was play- he's playing with this ordinary mundane snake named Kalia. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. The question may arise as to why Krishna and Balaram allowed their loving devotees to suffer such great anguish during Krishna's temporary imprisonment within the coils of Kalya. It must be remembered that because the inhabitants of Vrindavan were completely liberated souls, they did not experience material emotions. When they saw their beloved Krishna in apparent danger, their love for him intensified to the highest degree, and thus they merged completely into the ecstasy of love for him. The whole situation has to be seen from the spiritual point of view, or it will not be seen at all. Oma jnana timarandasya jnana shalakaya tasma shri gurave namaha Krishna chaitanya prabhu nityananda Sri Adwaita, Gadadhara, Shiva Sadi, Go, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Hare Hare. In the Padyavali, Rubu Goswami says, Yuvatinam yata yuni, Yunam Cha vata yuta, Manubiramate tadvan, Maname ramatam twayi. That uh, just as the minds of young boys are attracted to young girls and young girls attracted to young boys spontaneously, there's no training necessary. Similarly, he said, Let my attraction be drawn to you. And he also writes in the same book that when will that day come when, just as uh, a lover is waiting for a letter from the beloved and every day is going to check the mailbox to see did it come, and when the f- Letter finally comes, his hands are shaking, opening the letter, what did she say? And he said, with the same anticipation, may I read the Srimad Bhagavatam. May my hands also shake when I pick up the book to read the stories of of Krishna in the spiritual world. And this is the, the point of bhakti, and that is that we're not dead stones we have emotions and Prabhupada writes in the beginning of the bhagavad-gita as it is in his introduction that we're meant to transfer our attention and also our emotions to krishna in the bhagavad-gita krishna describes how this material world is a reflection by 180 degrees of the spiritual world. Urdva moola ashvatam praharavyayam chandamsi yasiparnani yastam vela saveda vid. Adas chordram prashutas tasishaka guna pravida bishaya prabala. Uh he says that the spiritual world which is uh the reality is reflecting itself in this material world. And therefore, whatever we see here in the form of variety is also there in the spiritual world. There is a class of philosophers who opine that because the material world's full of suffering, birth, death, old age, and disease, in case anybody needed a reminder, there's a a way in which when we come to perfection, there's zero. Uh, But Prabhupada points out that if you go to the doctor, and you have an abscess on your hand. That means your hand really hurts because there's an infection, and you complain about it. And he says, "Well, I'll just cut off your hand." Of course, sometimes they have to do that. But if somebody, uh, or he says, uh, "I'm," the patient said, "I'm suffering," and then the doctor said, "Well, we can just kill you then, and then you you won't you won't suffer." Is this acceptable? No, because. We don't want to die. We have life, we have desire for interaction. What's more, Prabhupada talks about how if we're put into a room without any association and without any view of the outside world, kind of like being in an airplane for a while. I know when I, after about 10 hours, I want to see some trees and walk around. And it, it's striking how getting off a long flight, isn't it? That's Everything looks good. Wow, look at that. There's water and birds. And this even smoky air will do. <laughs> so we have innately, uh, it, it is innate in us to uh, seek a loving relationships, also variety, this is reality. However, when we invest that emotion the sentiment we have the relation and we just establish relationships within the reflection then it becomes a source of trouble for us because the relationships are interrupted and they also become distorted but there is a real relationship we have that doesn't distort and also is eternal and that's with krishna and uh, i was just um commenting, uh, I made these comments based on the the points that were just made in the purport, that the members of the uh, village were all feeling these intense emotions for Krishna, and uh, that's reality. That's the uh, emotion in actual happiness, connection with reality. Sometimes when we experience loss and grief, we can sense just a tiny little bit about how sensitive we actually are and how deep our emotions go. So in some ways we can imagine then the depth of emotion that we, that we have. But Prabhupada describes it in the nectar of devotion to be like a beam of light. And when you shine a beam of light upward, to, theoretically, it'll continue expanding forever and that's the idea with our spiritual emotions also I'm going to read a few more verses oh the section it's 10th canto 16th chapter and right now I am at 7% power and I'm on verse number 17 10 16 17 the residents hurried toward the banks of the Jamuna in search of their dearmost Krishna, following the path marked by his footprints, which bore the unique signs of the personality of Godhead. The footprints of, the Lord Krish, of Lord Krishna, the master of the entire cowherd community, were marked with the lotus flower, barley corn, elephant goat, thunderbolt, and flag. My dear King Pariksit, seeing his footprints on the path among the cow's hoof prints, the residents of Vrindavan rushed along in great haste. Purport, Srila Sanatana Goswami comments as follows. Since Lord Krishna had passed along the path some time previously, why weren't his footprints, which were surrounded by those of cows, coward boys and so on, smudged over and brushed away? Why hadn't his footprints been obliterated by those of the beasts and birds of Vrindavan forest? The answer is indicated by the word vishpati, master of the cowherd community. Since Lord Krishna is actually the wealth of all living beings, all the inhabitants of the forest of Raj would carefully preserve his footprints as great treasures, the very ornaments of the earth. Thus, no creature within Vrindavan would ever walk upon Lord Krishna's footprints. As they hurried along the path to the bank of the Jamuna River, they saw from a distance that Krishna was in the lake motionless within the coils of the black serpent. They further saw that the cowherd boys had fallen unconscious and that the animals were standing on all sides crying out for Krishna. Seeing all this, the residents of Vrindavan were overwhelmed with anguish and confusion. Purport, in their grief and panic, the residents of Vrindavan tried to find out whether Kaliya had forcibly dragged young Krishna from the shore into the water or whether Krishna had himself jumped from the shore and fallen into the clutches of the snake. They could not understand anything about the situation and Krishna's cowherd boyfriends, being unconscious, were unable to tell them anything. The cows and calves were crying out for Krishna and thus the whole situation was overwhelming and created a state of shock and panic among the residents of Vrindavan. When the young gopis, whose minds were constantly attached to Krishna, the unlimited Supreme Lord, saw that he was now within the grips of the serpent, they remembered his loving friendship, his smiling glances, and his talks with them. Burning with great sorrow, they saw the entire universe as void. Although the elder gopis were feeling just as much distress, although the elder gopis were feeling just as much distress as she, and were pouring forth a flood of sorrowful tears, they had to forcibly hold back Krishna's mother, whose consciousness was totally absorbed in her son. Standing like corpses with their eyes fixed on his face, these gopis each took turns, recounting the pastimes of the Darling of Raj. Lord Balaram then saw that Nanda Maharaj and the other cowherd men who had dedicated their very lives to Krishna were beginning to enter the serpent's lake. As the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Balaram, fully knew Lord Krishna's actual power, and therefore he restrained them. Purport, Srila Sanatana Goswami explains that Lord Balaram checked some of the cowherd men by speaking to them, others by physically holding them, and still others by casting upon them his potent smiling glance. Distraught over the situation, they were prepared to give up their lives for Lord Krishna by entering the serpent's lake. The Lord remained for some time within the coils of the serpent, imitating the behavior of an ordinary mortal. But when he understood that the women, children, and other residents of his village of Gokula were in acute distress because of their love for him, their only shelter and golden life, He immediately rose up from the bonds of the Kalia's serpent. Haribo. His coils tormented by the expanding body of the Lord, Kalia released him. In great anger, the serpent then raised his hoods high and stood still, breathing heavily. His nostrils appeared like vessels for cooking poison and the staring eyes in his face like firebrands. Thus the serpent looked at the Lord. Again and again, Kalia licked his lips with his bifurcated tongues as he stared at Krishna with a glance full of terrible poisonous fire. But Krishna playfully circled around him just as Garuda would play with a snake. In response, Kalia also moved about looking for an opportunity to bite the Lord. Purport, Lord Krishna moved around the serpent so skillfully that Kalia could find no opportunity to bite him. Thus the snake was defeated by Krishna's transcendental agility. Can you think of another instance where he exhibited such agility in fighting with a combatant? I was thinking of Pida when Krishna went or when he goes later into Mathura, Kamsa had arranged for this gigantic elephant to fight with him and Kamsa's hope was that the elephant would kill Krishna. But Krishna expertly darted around, was able to drag the elephant and dodge out of the way of his tusk, which the elephant tried to thrust into Krishna, but then ended up thrusting into the ground and so forth. Any other agile story, stories of agility from Krishna? Where? Bakasura. In Bakasura, as the children were playing along the bank of the Jamuna a gigantic bird appeared. Of course, Prabhupada writes that it was a duck. And then we hear also that it was a crane. There was a gigantic bird, there's a picture of him. And the bird swallowed Krishna in his beaks and felt a hot burning sensation within his throat. And therefore he regurgitated Krishna. And then Krishna grabbed his beaks and bifurcated them. That was the end of Bakasura. Now the, the acharyas say that those who don't have a taste for the holy name feel it to be burning, like Bakasura felt Krishna burning in his throat and therefore they, they don't like to chant because to them, it tastes bad. Rupa Goswami mentions this in the beginning when someone chants Hare Krishna. He or she may experience that it seems bitter. And then he gives the example of jaundice. How many here have had jaundice before? Wow. <laughs> I saw a friend of mine in Puri a couple of years ago. He ran up to the rickshaw and I jumped because he was Completely yellow. <laughs> I had heard he had jaundice. He was on, he was starting to recover. And the curative for jaundice, or a curative, is sugarcane juice, but Rupu Goswami says, Syat Krishna Namat Chaditari Sitapta Viddipitopatapta Rasanasya Naruchikanu, Kintwavarad, anudilam Kalusaiva Justa, Bhavati Tad hantri." that uh, when you have jaundice, everything tastes bitter, but you have to take sugarcane juice. And only when you start to uh, recover from the jaundice does the sugarcane juice taste sweet. So he said, at the root, we also have a disease called avidya. In fact, for one of the eras during which I was distributing books, I worked at the San Francisco airport they gave us a couple of places where we could distribute books inside the airport. And I used to tell people that we were helping people all over the world who had a very terrible affliction called avidya, or ignorance. And <laughs> people's reactions were very interesting to that. They all say, oh, that sounds terrible. Um, so Rupa Goswami says the curative for avidya, or ignorance, is to chant Hare Krishna. But in the beginning, it doesn't taste good. It seems as if it's a bitter experience because the mind becomes attached to, to distraction. And it finds pleasure in distraction. That's rajas or rajaguna. So one, one who practices chanting Hare Krishna gradually overcome Avidya and then start to taste the sweetness of the chanting. Hare Krishna, did you make it? Congratulations. He went around Govardhan Hill. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still walking around quite, uh, <laughs> okay. Wow, that's great. Really nice. Congratulations. Where did you start? You started at Radha Koon and ended at Radha Koon. Very good. Well done. Well, we'll have to get your deposition a little later. Hare Krishna. We're talking, uh, we're continuing from the class this morning. We started a new chapter in the Bhagavatam. It's about Kalia, the Kalia snake that Krishna reformed, chastised and reformed. So um, then we were talking about, uh, the, the commentary talks about how agile Krishna was in slipping away from the coils of the snake and also he's just about to dance on the on the hoods of Kali, it's a thousand hoods. So then we talked about other ways in which Krishna was agile, and I brought up in combating the Pida elephant. And then Mataji brought up about uh, Bakasura, so we we're just uh, expanding the conversation on that. Does anybody have any comments or reflections so far or questions? <laughs> Otherwise, I'll see what percentage I'm at here and keep reading. Okay, if you do, just let me know. Do you know the story about Kalia? Not so much, okay, good. I don't know much about it either. I'll just keep reading. Okay, here it is. Having severely depleted the serpent's strength with his relentless circling, Shri Krishna the origin of everything pushed down Kaliya's raised shoulders and mounted his broad serpentine heads serpentine heads thus lord shri krishna the original master of all fine arts began to dance his lotus feet deeply reddened by the touch of the numerous jewels upon the serpent's heads purport shri harivamsa states shirasa krishna juggraha Swahastina vanamya Krishna grabbed Kaliya's head with his hand and forced it to bow down. Most people in this world are quite reluctant to bow down to the Supreme Person, the Absolute Truth. In the contaminated state called material consciousness, we conditioned souls become proud of our insignificant position and are thus reluctant to bow our heads before the Lord. Yet just as Lord Krishna forcibly pushed Kaliya's heads down and thus defeated him, the Supreme Lord's energy in the form of irresistible time kills all conditioned souls and thus forces them to bow down their arrogant heads. We should therefore give up the artificial position of material life and become faithful servants of the Supreme Lord, enthusiastically bowing down at his his lotus feet. Srila Vishana Chakravarti Thakur explains that Lord Krishna's lotus feet became red like copper because of their contact with the numerous hard jewels upon the heads of Kaliya. Lord Krishna with those glowing reddish feet then began to demonstrate his artistic skill by dancing on the unsteady moving surface of the serpent's hoods. This extraordinary demonstration of dancing skill was meant for the pleasure of the young women of Vrindavan, who at this phase of their relationship with Krishna were seriously falling in love with him. Seeing the Lord dancing, his servants in the heavenly planets, the Gandharvas, Siddhas, Sages, Charanas, and wives of the demigods immediately arrived there. With great pleasure they began accompanying the Lord's dancing by playing drums such as Murdungas, Pavanas, and Anakas, They also made offerings of songs, flowers, and prayers. Purport, when the demigods and other residents of higher planetary systems became aware that Lord Sri Krishna was personally putting on a wonderful demonstration of the art of dancing, they immediately came to offer their services. Dancing becomes more enjoyable and beautiful to watch when it is accompanied by expert drum playing, singing, and the chanting of prayers. The artistic atmosphere was also enhanced by the showering of a multitude of flowers upon Lord Sri Krishna, who is blissfully engaged in dancing upon the hoods of the Kaliya serpent. I'm gonna read two more and then take reflections. My dear King, Kaliya had 101 prominent heads, And when one of them would not bow down, Lord Sri Krishna, who inflicts punishment on cruel wrongdoers, would smash that stubborn head by striking it with his feet. Then, as Kaliya entered his death throes, he began wheeling his heads around and vomiting ghastly blood from his mouths and nostrils. The serpent thus experienced extreme pain and misery. Exuding poisonous waste from his eyes, Kalia would occasionally dare to raise up one of his heads, which would breathe heavily with anger. Then the Lord would dance on it and subdue it, forcing it to bow down with his foot. The demigods took each of these exhibitions as an opportunity to worship him, the primeval personality of Godhead, with showers of flowers. Actually, I'm going to do a few more because I'm trying to get to the part where the Nagapatnis come in. My dear King Priksit, Lord Krishna's wonderful, powerful dancing trampled and broke all of Kaliya's one thousand hoods. Then the serpent, profusely vomiting blood from his mouths, finally recognized Sri Krishna to be the eternal personality of Godhead, the supreme master of all moving and non-moving beings, Sri Narayan. Thus, within his mind, Kaliya took shelter of the Lord. In Chapter 16 of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Srila Prabhupada points out that whereas previously Kaliya was vomiting poison, now his poison was exhausted and he began to vomit blood. Thus he had been cleansed of the vile contamination within his heart that had manifested as serpent's venom. The word smritva, remembering, is very significant here. The wives of Kaliya were actually serious devotees of Lord Krishna, and according to the Acharyas, they had often tried to convince their husband to surrender to him. Finally, finding himself in unbearable agony, Kalia remembered his wife's advice and took shelter of the Lord. Srila Vishnu explains that Kalia's arch rival had traditionally been Garuda, the carrier of Vishnu. But now, Kaliya realized that he was fighting an opponent who was thousands of times stronger than Garuda and who therefore could be only the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus, Kaliya took shelter of Lord Krishna. It's, a, it's a, an important point that at the, I say height, the most extreme part of his suffering, from being subdued by his superior. Just really what gives pain mostly to a conditioned soul is uh, the sense of being controlled by another. And Kaliya came to this point where during extreme suffering, he remembered the advice given by his wives. His wives are really the heroines of the story here because they are really good devotees. And Kalia, somehow or other, wasn't, but they were trying to bring him along. And he went on with his nefarious ways until he got himself into this situation, in the situation he's in now, that he had to be chastised personally by Krishna. So, first point is that good advice and association with devotees doesn't go in vain. Although, at first, it may not seem like good advice because one's enjoying spirit is rampant. At a time when one is experiencing loss or suffering, one might remember the good advice or the association of devotees and think, maybe that wasn't such a bad idea. That's what's happening with, with Kaliya in this case. Yes, Of course, you know from the Mahabharata that Krishna says, when I show extreme mercy, I take away people's, or a devotee's rather, opulence or wealth so that he becomes fully dependent and remembers his actual position. And Kunti Devi says that when one feels entitled and is intoxicated by a sense of having accomplished much or as she puts it, Janmaishvarya, jan-mai-shvarya Shrita Shibir Edamana madapuman Pumana Yavidatum Vai she said, people who become mad or attached to the point where they're f- considered to be materially intoxicated with their birth, high birth. Aishvarya means their opulence. Shruta means learning. Srivira means beauty. Edamana Madha. They said they become mad with this, and then they can't call out to the Lord with true feeling. So she recommends that one be in the mood of a kinshina. A kinchina means that I don't have anything. I'm bereft. We don't have to wait to be in an existential crisis or in the context where things are actually taken away from us to feel this because the real situation is that we're helpless. As my friend Satyadev Prabhu likes to point out, we're not really breathing, we're actually being breathed. As he says, we're, on a, we're already on a ventilator because we're in material nature and we're pulling in air all the time, oxygen, trying to stay alive. And we're not necessarily in control of that. Nor are we in control of our heartbeats or any of the other functions of our bodies. Uh, we're dependent all the time on Krishna. So Bhaktivinoda in his song, Amara Jivana talks about how helpless he is and about how he doesn't have any good qualities, no asset no spiritual assets. I'm completely blank. And he feels himself to be akinshana. This is uh, <clears throat> what is described in the Briat Bhagavatam Rita as dainya. Dainya means extreme uh, humility. And he says, whenever there's prema, or love for God, it's always accompanied by this sense of dainya, or extreme humility. So, um, <coughs> good for Kalia for coming to this, this conclusion. Thank you for coming. Hare Krishna. In the Gita, the last point, and then we'll take some, let's have some discussion. Krishna says, chadur vidabha mam jana sukritino arjuna arto jignasa artarti gyanicha baratarshipha that there are four kinds of <coughs> pious people. sukriti, sukritino, sounds Spanish, that's It's, uh, they have some piety and therefore they approach God when uh, they're in need of money, they are in distress, they're inquisitive, and some are in knowledge of the absolute, he mentions these four categories. But all of them seek uh, God in that sense because they have some piety in their heart. And I'll just tell you another quick story, may I? Good, um, <clears throat> there's a story in the, in the Bhagavatam that Krishna tells to Uddhava. And it's about uh, the uh, Avanti Brahmana. The Avanti Brahmana is famous. In the fact, there's a verse that he utters that Srila Bhaktasiddhanta used to pass on to all of his sannyasis and ask them to Repeat it when they are doing their Gayatri uh, Gaitri mantras Astaya Maharshibi Shami I shall cross over the insurmountable ocean of material existence by being firmly fixed in the service of the lotus feet of Krishna. This was approved by the previous previous Acharyas who are fixed in firm devotion to the Lord Paramatma the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So this uh, person was a very wealthy industrialist. Actually, he was a a landholder. He was agriculturalist. And he had a lot of wealth, but he was a miser. He didn't do yajna. Yajna means do uh, ceremonial offerings to the demigods, the devas who control the forces of nature which is what Krishna recommends in the Bhagavad Gita that one do, uh, that perform sacrifice. And he also didn't give heartily to his relatives or others in charity. He, he stocked up his wealth. And because he was such a miser, people began to dislike him and the demigods began to withdraw their bounty from his life. However, at one point he had performed some sacrifice and during it he had felt a sense of devotion to God. So when he lost all his wealth, he was bereft. However, he did have an inkling that I should worship the Lord. And it was left over an impression that he had from when he was doing these other rituals like a tiny little molecule that began to multiply. And then he developed a firm desire to search out the Supreme Personality of Godhead and dedicate his life to the Lord. So he left behind his homestead and he went off wandering as a parva-drakacharya or a sannyasi. However, wherever he went, people disparaged him Some spat on him, some people threw things at him. They criticized him, they said, you're no renunciate, you just lost everything, you're just a loser. And they became abusive to him wherever he went. However, he actually developed within his heart a sense of peace that he had given up everything for the Lord and he knew his purpose, and he knew he had integrity. This is an important point also, that when we, when we know we're good for it, it doesn't matter what other people say externally, we're not affected by it because we know what we're doing and why we're doing it. We have a sense of that. So, my point from this was that even from the tiniest, devotion that he felt for the Supreme in the right circumstance. It had, after incubating, become the main purpose of his life, and that became prominent, and he became famous for that, of being a stalwart, who was uh, fully dedicated to the Lord in all circumstances. How does that make you feel? the story, or the Kaliya story. Do you have any feelings about these stories or anything that we've talked about so far? Or being in this room, or being in the Dom, or walking around that Hill, or anything else you saw today? Yes.
1: Yes, I could resonate with um, Kaliya's story uh, of not being humble or being made humble by Krishna or Guru. So as you explained, he fortunately received the mercy. And the verses talked when Krishna would step over each hood uh, to make him humble, whichever hood was not submissive.
0: His hood would rise up, and then Krishna would put his foot on that one dance from one to the next there's a way yes please go ahead
2: i was appreciating the morning in the morning the class that you gave i was uh yeah so i was appreciating uh, you're mentioning about how whether we can choose what attitude we can have whether when some situation comes whether we choose it no, why is this happening or you know whether we keep the attitude or what's the lesson? You know, we can have that as attitude and then the whole paradigm shift there's a paradigm shift in terms of how we look at things and how the perspective changes and all. So just appreciating that very much. Yeah. yeah. Let's
0: look up the word attitude. Just go ahead and look it up and see the definition. It's kind of an interesting concept in the attitude. I've heard the phrase before, lose the attitude. Has anybody, has anybody ever heard that before? Is that so colloquial? You've heard of it, Brent? So he said, lose the attitude. Let's hear the definition. I'll just give the definition first. Let's see how, hear how it sounds from that dictionary. Attitude
1: says, disposition, or posture.
0: I don't like your dictionary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is online?
0: OK, etymologically online, that's OK. But le, w, w, I, that'll be interesting, too. You can look up the origin of the word. But look up the definition of it. Just look up in the Apple dictionary. Yes. Yeah, that's the one, the settled way. That's the, I like that definition, go ahead.
2: A settled way of thinking or feeling about something.
0: OK, anything more?
2: Uh, truculent or uncooperative behavior. Oh. That's oh. Uh, informal, North American. Yeah,
0: informal. A settled way of, of thinking. thinking
2: or feeling about something.
0: Yeah, and how did we settle on that? Because of association and? We, get it, we, we develop some scars or impressions in our mind that, uh, but, but these are changeable. I give you examples. I have a, uh, we have a devotee who's in prison for life with no possibility of parole in the Arizona prison system because um, he was a, a very violent person for part of his life and Uh, had um, been part of a group that was uh, deeply racist, and uh, he committed crimes that were so serious that he's in life with no possibility of parole, but then he changed his mind. It's hard, and sometimes when people are in jail, they'll change their mind, but when they get out, then they change their mind again. Because uh, a lot of people who become devotees in prison don't, um, they don't, they don't uh, last when they get out so much. But uh, when you're in for life and you develop, <laughs> you change your attitude, it's, it's much more likely. The point is, uh, and there's, a, a, there's also a, a phenomena, which I, I'm i sure has been extant in human society since the time immemorial. But, Nowadays, we hear about it more called radicalization, where people have a benign opinion or an opposite opinion that gets reversed or that somebody, after hearing or associating with a certain kind of person, then they develop a, a uh, an extreme attitude about something that causes them to act in completely different ways. So how do we uh, get a settled way about thinking or feeling about things, it's it's by cultivation, so we can change our attitude, and that makes a big difference. Did you want to say more from an etymological point? Where's the word come from? Yes.
2: Uh, it actually came from late or late Latin, aptus, aptus. Means fifth, which means fit, and then late in late Latin again it became aptitudo, Aptitudo. Yeah, and then it went to Italian, and there it became attitudine.
0: Attitudine. Attitude.
2: And then it came to French, where it became as attitude in attitude. the late 17th century.
0: In the late 17th century. Yeah. People have, added, have had attitudes for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else from your side? No, that's it? OK. So we have a perspective of the world. As Epictetus said, we don't see the world the way it is, we see the world the way we are. We look through the, the lens of our minds, the lenses of our minds. And, th- and then perception, actually, is a word that it means what we pick up from the environment. We, s- we, we pick up particular things because of uh, our predisposition towards them. We leave other things behind because for the same reason. So we can reform ourselves and our, our attitudes and so forth. So it's a very important point. And Prabhupada writes, as I mentioned in class this morning, that the attitude of the follower determines his or her advancement in Krishna consciousness. So attitude's important. Wouldn't you agree? You have One more thing, and then Mataji has a point.
2: I mean, just, just a little follow-up. Uh, we talk about attitude, but at the same time we come with a... Uh, our own psychological or psychophysical nature that we have. So how is uh, how can those two things uh, be balanced? I, mean, I don't know if it makes any sense in the question. Well,
0: psychophysiological nature, of course, is there. But it's malleable, which means it can change over time. Of course, we have to accommodate to a certain degree. But really, um, even the brain has this quality of plasticity, which means it can be changed. F- f- in fact, there's, uh, there's, an, there's been a lot of research in epigenetics. Are there any uh, geneticists in here? That's good, I can say anything I want then. A, epigenetics is a, oh yeah, right. Epigenetics. Are you really? <laughs> I'll just give maybe an abstract of it and, and uh, perhaps somebody online can challenge me on it, but epigenetics talks about how we, we do have a certain set of, Hare Krishna Prabhu, thanks for coming. We have a certain um, genetic makeup. And yes, it does have an ef- effect on the way uh, our physical, uh, mental, uh, conditions unfold however it's not absolute because for instance just give an example if somebody uh, has uh, a particular uh, gene for a kind of disease in their family like Alzheimer's or diabetes there's lots of research to show that if you change your lifestyle drastically then your chances of getting those things uh, also adjusts; it's not absolute destiny. So epigenetics talks about, to some degree, the way that we have some free will in deciding whether or not we'd like to participate in these de- in these diseases, or whether we'll adapt our lifestyle. And uh, Prabhupada talks about what's required for any discipline. He said two things: knowledge. And practice and with knowledge and practice you can change your environment you can change your mind you can change your attitude there's so much you can change of course you know we all die and there are um, there is momentum from karma and there are we do have genes and so forth but it 's not absolute there's ways there's things we have wiggle room things that we can do to, to change those so regarding your question about our predisposition to a, a certain nature. We do have we to have accommodate, accommodate to some, to some degree, but, but at the same time, time the point about, about, the point of, of having, having a a, cult- a way to culture ourselves is that we can, mm-hmm. we can uh, improve, we can change that. We'd like to share with you our microphone.
3: Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I just wanted to say, I think there's a saying that says, "Attitude determines altitude." Yeah, yeah.
0: that's right. It's an old saying. Your attitude determines your altitude. Do you have a point? Yeah. Okay. you yeah, then, Brett.
2: Okay. So, um, attitude can be, you know, uh, I think one of the time it comes in. It comes in one of Prabhupada's pastimes also. There is a dog between, you know, the building which is next to MVT. And I think that's the only dog I have seen in Vrindavan who is wearing a collar. So when we pass, you know, he's very distinct and Keshav told me yesterday, Mama, this dog has an attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you can notice the difference, right? So, So I told him, did you notice he's wearing a collar? No one else is wearing a collar. So he belongs to an honor and he's proud about it.
4: So yeah. that's what I was thinking.
0: It's it's very distinctive actually, because the street dogs, they they learn to adapt, to get along. And uh, they're pack animals, so they know, have to know who the alpha dog is and make sure that they don't um, uh, get out of line too much. Yeah, that's a noticeable. Oh.
1: I was just reflecting during the Mangala Arti this morning. I can't remember who it was that said that they couldn't see the darshan. Somebody in that was the, Shambhakti. Yeah, in this class. Um, yeah. I was reflecting on that a lot during the during the Mangala Arti this morning. Um, I have no problem. I'm tall. <laughs> I can see. Um, I, I. But I also. Um, you talked about the cool guy at the front. You know, trying to. Try to be the cool guy, but i just don 't want to look like the stupid guy <laughs> that doesn 't know what he 's doing and i don 't know what i 'm doing a lot because i 've only been coming to Ishkon for less than a year, um, but I really, really f- reflected on that that feeling of separation um, that that you mentioned, and I just felt really appreciative of being in that room like you talked about, and just like who let me in <laughs> like how did nice. I, how, why am I in Vrindavan? Like, how yeah. did I get to this point in my life that I can come and, and, and be here? Um, and it, it, uh, thank you very much for, for sharing that. Um, uh, okay, I can't remember who it was, but, um, you know, that, that feeling of separation from not being able to see, I I just didn't even think about that because cause I could totally see and I remember Radha Swami in one of his talks talking about um, instead of trying to see Krishna, try to be seen by Krishna. And, and that really, that reflection just really um, worked for me <laughs> this morning.
0: It's an important point that you just made. up made. The, We spoke a little bit about it on Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswatthakura's Appearance Day which, that we celebrated recently before you came. and one of the main tenets of his teachings was that Krishna is the seer and we're the seen. And one of the practical ways in which he codified that so that we could practically apply it is that don't try to see God, but try to work in such a way that he'll want to see you. That was one of his admonitions. And um, there's a verse in the Padma Purana that is famous because it, it, it lines up that idea very well. Uh, that we can't see God with our blunt material senses. However, if we take the attitude of service and begin serving him with our tongue, chanting and taking Krishna Prasadam, then he will be pleased to reveal himself to us. In fact, Srila Bhaktasiddhanta sometimes was known to stand at the back of the temple where the Garuda Stambha is. In each temple, there's normally a, a pillar, and on top of it, there's Krishna's or Lord Narayan's carrier, Garuda, who is his eternal servant, always there ready to serve him. And so he's, you'll, you'll notice him in many of the temples and he would stand back next to the pillar and when asked why he wouldn't come to the front because he was the leader, he said, if I stand here under Garuda, then the Lord's glance will go first to his devotee, Garuda, and then he'll, he'll be able to see me there. And in other instance, instances that are mentioned in his biography, although he needed glasses for far vision, distant vision, he would uh, sometimes not wear his glasses. And he said, uh, I didn't come here to minutely look at the Lord, but to be seen by him (laughs) winning that out. And just to reiterate the point for those who weren't here, Shambhakti had talked about being in the the throng that is what's behind the rope in the Mangalartik. And so many enthusiastic bhaktas, trying to see the Lord at the same time. And she was saying how sometimes she could only see the top of his crown or just the peacock feather and was feeling grateful for that. And then sometimes feeling separation when somebody would move their head a little bit and she couldn't see anything. And then I was contrasting that. I said, sometimes that's a better position to be in. Somebody might be in the front and have full access, access all areas, and then feel like I'm so cool, I'm in the front, and they're not actually seeing Krishna because they have this attitude that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in front and nobody else is, that type of thing. So the way, the attitude that we have is really important. Yes, one, two.
3: Three. About the dog, uh, you, me- uh, you mentioned that you saw the dog. Sri Prabhupada on his morning walk once uh, said that, uh, "Look at the dogs that are with their masters; they look very, you know, confident that they have a master, whereas all these other stray dogs they are so lean and thin." And the other dogs are nice and fat and, and healthy. But he made the point that therefore we should be woodmaster, not woodotsanathha, not anatha. So my guruma I mean Giriya Swami was saying that he felt like Prabhupada was addressing it directly to him because he was feeling particularly like low that time. And uh, he always remembered that uh, we have to be woodmaster and
0: without the mast. nice, uh, yeah, although the the dog is sometimes Prophet in one place describes him as the um, non devotee number one because dogs the dogs urinate on the Tulsi plant sometimes, um, so he said um, that uh, oh that that there are stories about uh, Dogs also have uh, admirable qualities. In the, in the Anchalila of the Chaitanya Charramitta, the very first story is about Shivananda Sain, who was the devotee who helped to organize all, all the devotees of Navadvipa and guide them on an excursion down to Jagannath Puri to meet Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in one year when they were traveling. A street dog came and indicated that he wanted to join the, the devotees. So Shivan and Hussein invited him to come in and said, yes, you may be part of the party. And not only that, he made sure that it got fed properly. He cooked extra rice for it. What's more, when they got on the boat, sometimes you have to cross over and pay a toll. The boatman said, no way, no dogs. and. Chivan and the same gave extra money just so the dog could get on with all the devotees. Mm-hmm. And he became attached to the dog in that he saw some potential in it. That's the benefit of being around Vaishnavas, so they see potential. The person who um, is in the lowest position judges people by their past. And higher than that are those who see people according to the way they are now, and they discount the past but the most advanced see people according to their future potential. And that's the way Vaishnavas are because they're always trying to fan the spark. And then the dog one day didn't get fed and disappeared. Or just disappeared. But he wasn't fed. It's not mentioned that there was causality there necessarily. But when Shivananda Sane, who is the front person, had to go ahead and arrange things for the devotees' lodging and so forth before they would get there, and he had to walk, ahead. there was no internet. So the dog was gone, and when he asked where it was, nobody knew, and when he asked if it had been fed, they said they forgot, and he became extremely concerned. And there was in an anxiety about it, and looked everywhere for the dog, and all the others did too. And then they went on to Jagannath Puri, which was her destination, but they were, at least Shivananda Sain was despondent about the situation until he got to meet Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and found that the dog was there sitting with Mahaprabhu. And Mahaprabhu was feeding the dog from his own plate with green coconut pulp. And he asked the dog to chant Hare Krishna, Hare Rama. And the dog was chanting and <laughs> taking, the, <laughs> taking the remnants. And then, says Kaviraj Goswami, the dog disappeared and un- everyone had understood that it had gone back home, back to Godhead. When we were doing our, the last parikram we did around Govardhan Hill before the pandemic came, we were going around and a dog similarly came and asked us, if we could join, we had about seven devotees in our pack. And as we were going around, the dog came and he just started walking with us. And then when you go through different neighborhoods around Govardhan, there, uh, there are gangs of dogs that have that territory. And so he, they'd start, they'd come out ferociously, you know, like, hey, this guy's in our, on our turf. And you know, we have to tell the other dogs that, no, no, he's with us. And, and the dog would look up and go, okay, I'm with these guys. And he'd kind of get in the middle of the devotees and just keep going. He went all the way around the, on the parikram. And this is, this is kind of a good, qual- this is a good quality when it's applied to joining the, joining the Vaishnavas and take your shelter. Okay, you had a point. Uh,
5: something about uh, Kaliya, Lila. Yes. Um, actually, uh, Kaliya uh, has offended uh, Garudaji, the carrier of Lord Vishnu, in a very heavy way. Uh, I do not remember the details, but he uh, hiding himself in Yamuna, because Garuda cannot come, couldn't come to. Yemuna uh, to chastise Kaliya. So, Kaliya, in the snake uh, society, the w- richness of the snake uh, considered by the, uh, how m- much poison they accumulated. So, the, around was so many snakes, but only uh, the Kaliya he uh, accumulated a lot of poison. And first of all, he poisoned himself, not the uh, around environment. He poisoned all his nature or his consciousness, his mind, his body. So then, uh, when the poison was over, uh, limit of his body, it started to come out, and he started to poison others, to poison us. so he became so proud of his uh, being so powerful. And uh, this pride led him. So he was uh, working on his karma. He was uh, getting reaction for offending uh, devotee of Lord Vishnu. And then uh, he didn't want surrender to Krishna, because he's not considering him as the Supreme Personality of God yet. But Krishna put his hoods down by dancing on his uh, uh, hoods by his lotus feet and he uh, make him uh, uh, how to say humili- humiliated or how to say humble. humble yeah humbled so then but even uh, uh, vomiting blood the Kaliya uh, still didn't uh, want to surrender and this, uh, at this moment, at this point, the, uh, his wives came, Nagapatnis, who actually helped him a lot by uh, they appeal to the Lord, please don't kill him. Otherwise, other snakes, also so powerful, they will take us from him and make us their wives. They will force us to go to them. And, uh, We don't want to change our husband, please uh, let us be with him. (laughs) But uh, this uh, story is so deep, if uh, we can uh, go deeper and deeper and deeper in this. So the offense uh, uh, which uh, Kali committed to Garuda has uh, very, very deep uh, consequences. And uh, actually, I was thinking this. Uh, uh, sometimes this uh, lila looks like, seems as uh, a fair tale for others, for karmi people, or for children, like they not believe that this Satchkaliya was here in Vrindavan. But uh, uh, sometimes back, I I that in uh, Fiji, one fisherman at night, uh, he was on the boat, in the ocean and he lost his way to because it was very dark and he lost the way back to his home. To the. And he was nearby one uh, mountain in the water, how to say cave in the water and inside of this cave he saw the fire uh, light and uh, naturally he uh, started to move to this light and what he saw He was in shock, so he saw a huge, huge serpent with so many hoods, black color. He was coming out of the water, and on his hood he saw the uh, valuable jewels, and the light actually was coming from these jewels and uh, lightening the whole... uh, So when the Krishna just sent him out of uh, Vrindavan, so he took some refuge, some place uh, as a refuge for him. So uh, I just wanted to tell that how uh, uh, dangerous to offend devotee.
0: Yeah, Kaliya uh, became a great devotee. In fact, uh, Sanatan Goswami explained. Who had their hand up? You did. Okay, as uh, you can hand it over. Uh As As Sanatana Goswami explains in in the Nitya Leela of Krishna, Kaliya is a great devotee in that sometimes Krishna rides him like a horse into Mathura instead of taking the chariot of Akura. In fact, in his prayers, he had offered that, that, you know, I can serve you in any way. Also, an important Subtle point, which I've always appreciated about the Nagap- Nagapatnis, I love their prayers. And they are really good devotees, great devotees, in fact. And when they saw their husband, I think I mentioned this this morning, but it's worth repeating. When they saw him being chastised by Krishna, they were appreciative that he was getting such a mercy and felt that that uh, he was somewhat de- deserving of that but then they notice they noticed that his countenance changed and that he was becoming humble and this is something that's uh, visible in the demeanor and the and the lifestyle of a devotee or even in the in the countenance that uh, one's mood or attitude changes. His attitude definitely changed. And then his wives became his advocate because they thought, now, you know, please don't let him die, please save him, he's a devotee. So that, as you were mentioning, they really did help him out. And it was a really important point. One other thing is that uh, in the in Fiji, a Prabhupada established uh, Kaliya Krishna, Krishna Kaliya deity. Because of this idea of Kaliya going to Fiji, so there, there, um, the devotees established that deity to worship. Please. Hello Krishna. Hello, Krishna.
3: So it's also about uh, this morning's class when Prabhupada was talking about mentioning attitude, and I was thinking, like sometimes we go to a class, maybe one hour, two hours. And we only wait for that one word or one sentence, and to get a, like a life-changing realization. Like when people say attitude, I was thinking, you mentioned like when bad things happen to us, when misfortune o- occur, and then instead of saying "Why me?", we should say, like, what lessons we can learn from this. Yes so it's like when you say this, why me what lessons we can learn from that? I was feeling awakened, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, this is it, this is it like uh, you know, for me, it's like this sentence for Prabhupada's attitude, maybe for others, another sentence, another word, even sometimes just a glance, and same like we read a book like from this chapter, maybe two hundred like one hundred page like. Only one word, one sentence, you want to carve in your heart, like, to... You know, it's like, this, just this one word of all the... You know, one page, like, you feel enlightened, you feel awakened. Yeah, I just want to share, share this. Thank you yeah, so the, much.
0: It, it's a very... Yeah, Emma, go ahead. Thank you. Interesting and helpful point.
6: Hi, Kri- oh. Krishna. Hi, Krishna. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your classes this morning. I, I I just wanted to to continue on that because I I also felt the same, priya, I can't see your face, but yeah, I felt the same with the. Um, oh, I don't know if what I'm going to say is even going to make s- sense, but um, okay, we give you know
0: we give one hundred rupees for every. <laughs>
6: i understand if it Go ahead. <laughs> I guess um i i i also took took a um a lot from that class this morning and and since i've been here in rindavan um you know there's been a lot that's 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 come up and and um and just just recently, I'm not sure if anyone's aware, but in the northern rivers in Australia, there's very big floods, huge floods, and thousands of people have lost their homes. And, um, and one of those people is actually my dad. And um, I've been feeling like it's really challenging, um, like wondering whether or not I should go home, you know. But I'm i uh, enjoying my time so much here in Rindavan with the association of devotees and um feeling like almost like uh, this is this is this is why you know we're we sort of practicing practicing is um i guess to have some of these experiences with devotees and and remember what we're here to do and that's to be a servant of krishna and um and I was just praying to Krishna like, "Please, please show me what I can do because I can't get back on a on a plane and, and go over and help clean up it's it's just it's it's not possible and And when I was sitting in your class today and i and I took that message of um you know of the attitude like how can how can we um, expand by changing our attitude and um my family, they have this, you know, like a group chat. And they're all just sharing, like, what they've lost. And I've got one auntie. She lost her whole house because there was a landslide. And she's like, oh, it's all good. I wanted to move into a caravan anyway, you know. <laughs> and, then <laughs> <laughs> and then... And then my dad is just, you know, my dad is negative as, like he's pulling everything apart. Oh my God, all my tools, all my guitar, oh, you know, and and I thought, okay, I'm going to call my dad and I'm going to try my best to like share something because I I felt like, okay, I'm feeling guilty that I cannot be there physically to help. So how can I um, use what I've learnt here, you know, to be of some support to him? And I tried to say, hey, dad, why don't you, you know why don't you maybe change your attitude like and 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 you know like see see how that goes? I didn't say it that bluntly, but you know and um at the time he didn't, you know he didn't take it so well, but like forty minutes later, I got a message from him, and he said, "You know what um I'm starting to think that I didn't like the couch very much, and you know <laughs> and it's been pretty great because people are cooking for us and yeah, uh, you know, the devotees from um, New Govardhan Farm in Australia have been supplying 500 meals a day to people that are volunteering to help with, you know, all these volunteers and homeless people. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that and, and thank you. Thank you so much thank for you. your Thank you. First of all, <laughs> condolences for, for it.
0: It's, it's a traumatic experience to lose one's house and to be under siege by material nature. and. So our heart goes out to your family and to you. And also um, appreciating the conundrum of being in Vrindavan and far away. When I was here, once um, my father passed away while I was here staying at the MVT, I ex- I did, you know, we kind of expected it because he had been sort of long-term. But then uh, I just remember Nirkula calling me in the middle of the night because uh, she wasn't here with me and saying that, you know, he, le- he just left. And um, then, um, <coughs> of course, maybe I'll recount a few of the details. The next morning when I came downstairs, Dhruva Maharaj Das and Samapriya, a couple of my godbrother god brother and god-sister were married, were right downstairs. When they saw me come walking down the stairs, they said, what's wrong? <laughs> Apparently it was in my countenance and they, uh, and I said, "Oh, my father just passed away." And Sambha priya just immediately hugged me. You know, she's a Jewish mother, and <laughs> like, and it just hugged me. He's like, "Oh," and it made me feel better. And then another, like, Brahmachari was walking by. He came over and hugged me. <laughs> and I never forgot that actually, that he did that. But uh, coming to one of my main points here is that. I, I felt like I wanted to do something too and I channeled it into being in the Dham. So at, at that time I was while I was in Vrindavan, I'd walk around do the parikram every day. And then you know, I really you know I dedicate that to my father that I'm doing this for you. And I do the parikram. And it was just interesting from what you said being here. A lot of times I notice devotees they'll they'll think even in normal times, if there are such things in the world anymore, uh, or ever were, uh, they want to go and help with their family somewhere and and, uh, kind of dislodge themselves from where they are now because the pull is so strong. And then they get there, and it's not exactly what they seemed, what it seemed it was. Uh, At that, they're kind of like, what are you doing here anyway? (laughs) How are you actually helping us? And uh, because it's not so easy to help people, especially on a physical level. I mean, you can go out of your way and do things. And and sometimes it is really important to do that. But oftentimes it's not what it seems. But it is really important to have uh, enough uh, advancement oneself and feel solid so that one can be there for others. And I'll just give one more point about that and it has to do with, the, with uh, the devotee who hugged me when I came down the stairs, her name was Sama Priya. And uh, later on, it turned out um, her mother had um, passed away and my mother and father passed away one year apart from each other. So I brought their ashes together to commit to the Jamuna. And then she was here with her mother's ashes. And uh, when she was young, she had joined the Hare Krishna movement and was not that reachable by her family. And uh, some of her brothers took exception that she had sort of abandoned them. And uh, she was estranged, especially from one of her brothers and there there was some tension between some of the other siblings as well. But then when her mother got ill and had about three months to live, some Priya went back there and took care of her. The other members of the family, especially the siblings, from what I understood, were not, um, it's hard to go take care of somebody when they're dying because it's really hard to know what's going on if you haven't studied the science. And so after her mother passed and uh, Samapriya had been, been there for her, her brother who had been estranged came to her and, and uh, made a reconciliation. And what he said was profound. He said, now I and uh, the others realize that we were to be with her during her life, but you were the only one qualified because of the way you lived your life to be with her in death. And um, they saw it for themselves I guess my where I'm trying to edge this point into what you said was that it's not that we're not doing any good by being in the dom, and, and that's not what you said, but I'm, I'm saying we can do good wherever we are if our consciousness is elevated by the practice that we're doing because that's the most important point in any circumstance is to have somebody who has a, um, modicum or a high level of Krishna consciousness that can that they can where they can help others to to have the vision to deal with the complexities of life. And that brings us, yes. Mukharavinda. That's a big deal. Are they in Mayapur? They're in Mumbai.
5: He said, Reflection from the Dham. Once a car hit the toto in which we were traveling from the front purposefully. The car driver was drunk, it seemed. The toto driver was little upset from the car driver. But then immediately he looked into his hand and with gratitude said that by the Lord Krishna's grace, my body is saved and I am grateful. And he moved on. I was remembering this verse from Lord Brahma ten fourteen eight. 8 shasha mikshamo mano and how Guru Angaranga is reveling in front of me. Revealing in front of me, I think it's meant to be. Revealing in front of me.
0: Nice. Thank you, Mukaravinda, Mukharavinda. Prabhu. You have a question, yes. Sorry. No, they can't hear online if you don't speak. <laughs>
3: okay. When uh, we say attitude, when we look at uh, we perce- is it our perception of looking at people? Of, uh, if someone is angry, so that is an attitude of negative. So, is it our mind perceiving that attitude? or it, uh, Or we can convert that into humbleness?
0: Well, anger is neither good or bad. It's it's so you can use your anger or you can lose your anger. If you lose your anger, it means that you were taken advantage of by the material nature and you were overcome and then you lost it as people say. And if you're angry for a purpose and you channel that into into a good cause, like uh, Arjuna, on the battlefield Krukshetra, Krishna asked him to get a little angry so he could fight for the righteous cause and he did, so it was good. And um, a devotee or a person who is in control of his or her senses uh, can, as Krishna says, prajahati yadaka sarvan pārtam manogatan, he gives this as the evidence of somebody who is fixed in consciousness, sthita pragna, is that he or she can withdraw his or her senses from the sense objects and use them purposefully. He gives in a subsequent verse the analogy of a tortoise that draws its limbs within the shell when it's when they're not needed, or you know, for protection. And Prabhupada, Prabhupada gave this also. That a devotee is able to uncoil the senses when they're needed for service and then bring them back in when they're not. So, same for attitude as well. Okay, one, two, and then we're going to have Kirtan. small point. Small point.
5: Actually, Kali gives us a good lesson also from his attitude we can also derive some uh, lesson. So, uh, whenever we are thinking, uh, and our thoughts are negative, we are angry for something, we are pride, uh, falsely pride, and we are thinking about ourselves much higher than others. So, uh, So, we are accumulating this poison in our consciousness, in our mind. And we can become the uh, same as Kaliya. So we should be very careful of uh, collecting this uh, poison in us. Thank you. And uh, some another one, because I will n- not have uh, Actually, we got two
0: more wait that okay. were already waiting, and then we're having a kirtan. So Sorry. I'm worried that.
1: Um, on the point of um, Krishna humbling kalyas, each hood that arose. You were about to say earlier that there's a way in which, but you didn't complete the point. Um.
0: Okay, okay, I don't remember, I, but I can make one up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a repeat of what I said before. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Namaskuru, you should bow down to me. I personally feel that it it, 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 it is... It's, it's, the experience of bowing down is, is unique. It, it's, it's actually a visceral experience to bow down and uh, offer one's uh, head at the feet of somebody else or before someone else in respect. It's quite unusual, actually. You don't see it going on that much. Some, some um, <coughs> there are some practitioners, you know, like in Islam, they'll do it, they'll stop during the day and do it very deliberately wherever they are most people don't do it. That's a, you know, that's a kind of Vaishnav discipline that they have to bow down to the Supreme. I guess it's in the direction of Mecca. It's such a um, a simple gesture, and I remember the first time walking in a temple and seeing all of a sudden devotees bowing down. I know we were having a program at our house, and two Mormons I had met on the street. I was chanting Japa in my neighborhood, and they said, "What are you doing?" You know, I said because they have two years to kill um, before they go back to Utah. And so they're missionary work, but you know, I mean, you know, they're hanging around trying to do the best they can, so in a friendly way. They saw me and was like, hey, what's going on? And uh, I said, well, we have a program at our house, which is right over there, you can come, it's every Friday night. So they came over and we had this kirtan going on, and I'll uh, minus the details, because it's getting late. They're pretty interesting details, but I'll tell them some other time. <laughs> we're having the skirt. Scared... Well, I'll tell one of them. There were two of them. One was an older a missionary, and the other one was a younger. They're called elders. They're really nice. I love Mormons. I mean, most of them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know them all, so. Uh, <laughs> So what happened was, they were having this kirtan, and the younger one was really getting into it. In fact, he grabbed a shaker, <laughs> like a little tambourine. <laughs> and, and the older one was looking at him like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> but what nobody could be prepared for is the pre Medwani and the style we do in ISKCON. It's, as soon as the kirtan ends, and you go, jayom, and then everyone <laughs> <laughs> You're at somebody's house, you know, first of all, the chanting and dancing is is rather uh, just um, fantastical. And then all of a sudden, everyone just uh, is, spontaneously puts their head on the ground. And uh, of course, because I was saying the Premadwani, I had that bird's eye view of of their reaction, which (laughs) which is quite profound uh, to see everybody bowing down. But it's one of the, uh, practices that the Goswamis are known to have done, sankhya purva and that they measured how many ta- how many times they bow down to others, and it's um, it's an important aspect of devotional service. Okay, there was two more or last, last point. point. Chakad- Chakadola Prabhu.
4: Hare Krishna.
0: He? Here uh, he's retired from his monkey fighting days. We're able to put the shoes inside. <laughs> retired as a great hero from fighting the monkeys
4: Guru Maharaj, you mentioned that how krishna's footprint used to be intact and no one used to walk on them i learned that it is also a great offense to walk on the foot footsteps of the spiritual master and in one lecture one one devotee asked us what is the difference between imitating and following in the footsteps so it it is the only difference of the attitude. In the imitating, one wants to take the position of that person. And in uh, following the footsteps, one wants to just serve under his direction, uh, the way he wants us to serve. And I just I realized that uh, this is how the Mayavadis and the other people, they want to become like Krishna. They say we will become God. And how the uh, Krishna's devotee, they want to serve him all his life.
0: Prabhupada gave a demonstration of this once on a morning walk in Mayapur when there was a little embankment because most of the places where he walked was in agricultural fields. In fact, during the morning program, we could see Prabhupada in the field with the other devotees. You could see their profiles from a long way away because there were no obstructions. There were no buildings except for the long building and the Mayapur Chandra Mandir. That was it. And so anyway... Uh, Prabhupada was uh, walking down a, a, a short embankment because of the, which was formed because of the agricultural work that was going on there and Bhavananda was there and offered his hand or Prabhupada took his hand to come down that embankment and as soon as he got to the bottom he threw his hand away, did Prabhupada, Prabhupada threw his hand away and Bhavananda was a little startled and then Prabhupada turned to make his point, which he did often on morning walks. And he said, this is what the Mayavadis do. They take help of some kind of worship of a deity. Of course, they got Pasana, these five different deities. But as soon as they reach this godhood emerging, then they throw, throw the deity away. They discard everything. And so he said, this is uh, <coughs> the defective, Mood, non grateful, and uh, also inaccurate process of worship. And now we have an opportunity for one last point, and then we're going to have a kirtan if we can convince the Kinshasa and Krishna Prabhu to lead a kirtan. Thank you.
2: Sorry, I just, uh, I, just I was actually hearing once Sutapa Prabhu mention when you're talking about obeisances. So he was mentioning in one class that uh, when he was walking across Govardhan, he asked one person who was actually doing Dandavad Parikrama, you know, why are you doing this? And he said, "Look, I actually looked in the Bhagavad Gita. I looked the Manmohana bhakto verse. He said, "I looked, you know, Krishna says that think of me." I thought it was very difficult. He says, "Worship me." He says, "I thought that also a little difficult." But I looked, you know, that and offer everything to me. That also I felt was difficult. But <laughs> so the easiest was just na- uh, Krishna said, "You know, just namaskuru, just offer my obeisances." So I thought that was the easiest way to worship. So that's why I just chose to do this. I just wanted to mention. That.
0: That's a good point. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, thank you. Excellent point. Gaur Brahman and